The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Our scripture reading this day is taken from Jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 12, and you can find that in your Pew Bibles on page 1203. At the Potter's House. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the Potter's House and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. This is the word of the Lord. Get the popcorn out. Today, um, we welcome Sandra, who's going to be uh, showing us her craft of pottery. Um, And so we can get the popcorn out. We We can see something in church that we've never seen before, somebody throwing things, right? I was really trying hard to save that joke for later, but it came out. But in more than one way, we can get the popcorn out because we join Jeremiah in season six, episode four. Uh, The title of the episode, uh, Jeremiah goes on a field trip. Do you love field trips? Who loves field trips? Yeah, we, we all love field trips. It's a time for us to get out of the office. It's a time for us to get out of the classroom and actually tangibly uh, see something, right? Uh, Feel something, touch something. 
I wonder if Jeremiah has that same thought. Jeremiah goes on a field trip to the potter's house and he encounters God's touch. And so three things this morning we'll see. We'll see the, the, the master potter. We'll see the stubborn clay. And we'll see the, and feel the proof of love. The master potter, the stubborn clay, and the proof of love. So first, the master potter. Jeremiah gets word from the Lord that he's to go down to a potter's house. Now, this isn't the first time that Jeremiah has been sent on a field trip. We could call him the field trip prophet because, you know, God has spoken to him through an almond shoot, through a boiling pot. He has been walking around the streets of Jerusalem, the ruins of a place called Shiloh, and now God tells him, go to a potter's house. Just like you would tell your sibling on a birthday when you couldn't find a space to hide their present, right? Go out to the shed. The surprise will be there for you. Go to the garage. You'll see God tells Jeremiah, go to the potter's house. And there I will give you a word. It seems like God is carefully orchestrating an experience for Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah follows God, obeys him, goes to the potter's house and shows up. Now maybe Jeremiah knows this potter well. Maybe they were even friends This this probably wasn't the first time that they had an encounter with each other. And so as Jeremiah shows up at this place, I can imagine that there was an interaction of sorts, right? Hey, Jeremiah, what are you doing here? Have you come to buy something? Have you come to tell me about your week, about your day? Jeremiah says to them, no, I'm here because God told me to come here. He told me that he has a message for me. Okay, well, let me know if you need something, right? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so Jeremiah stands there, waiting. Waiting for the promised word from God and nothing. Time goes on and he's still waiting. And then he realizes he hasn't checked Instagram in five minutes, but he decides to wait. And just watch. He stands off to the side, out of the way of the the busy potter's house, and begins to observe the potter doing her thing. And then something extraordinary happens. The potter begins shaping something. Forming it into the shape of a pot. Taking their hands and moving them in such creative and intentional ways, Jeremiah is struck at the skill of the potter. He realized for the first time the power and control that coexist as the potter's hand is over the clay. The potter worked with it and controlled the edges with exact precision and good skill. The pot being made was really at the hands of a master. One that was incredibly skilled at her craft. Now Jeremiah had lived in Israel for a long time and he'd known about the craft of pottery for his entire life. 
Ever since he was a young boy in the temple as a, as a, as a priest or as, as a, a priest in training, he would have worked with, with intricate pieces of pottery. He would have known the finished product, but maybe this was one of the first times that he just stood there and watched the skilled hands of a potter. He stood amazed. He knew he was standing in the presence of a master, but he also realized something. That this isn't just the potter at work. There was something else going on. The clay had to play a part. Right? It takes, as they say, it takes two to tango. Right? You need the clay to be workable. It has to be the right consistency. It's a pottery... And I know nothing about it, but I think it's a dance. It's a dance between the potter and the clay. And it takes both the skilled hands of the potter, but also the responsiveness of the clay to, to, to be shaped and formed into what the potter want, wanted. There was no written plans that this potter has for the pot. It was, it was all what was, what was in their mind, right? Do you see any, any plans? Do you see any written diagram? No. This may make the engineers in the congregation cringe, but this is all up in the creative mind of the master skilled potter. And it takes two to tango. The clay has to respond to the skilled hands of the potter. And Jeremiah, as he stood there in the corner of that potter's house, he saw stubborn clay. The story, as it unfolds, Jeremiah realizes that the, the pot that is being formed, and the, the potter, uh, the clay is marred. As it says, marred, meaning that there's something in the clay that is making it unworkable. It's being stubborn. It's resisting. It is not submitting itself to the will of the potter's hands. It was fighting back, in a way. And so something happened. The potter changed gears. Called an audible at the line of scrimmage. And began a new work with that same clay. They began to work with the clay that they had in front of them. Now this piece was not less creative. It was not less beautiful. It was not less functional, but it was different. It functioned differently. It looked different. And, and at that moment, at that exact moment, Jeremiah, that Jeremiah realized that the potter had begun a new work with the pot, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like clay at the hands of a potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. Jeremiah realized that his whole experience in the potter's house, what was God at work? God shows Jeremiah the skill and the control of the potter. God shows Jeremiah the vision and the purpose that the potter has, as if to say to him, Jeremiah, am I not the most skilled potter? 
What God was telling Jeremiah is that he had called Israel to be his people, a people that he would shape and form, a people who would follow him and would obey him, would submit to him, and, and who made promises to him to follow him. A nation through which God would shape and form to be a blessing to the world. But time and time again, Israel pushed back. They turned away. They disobeyed the promises that God had made. Throughout all Israel's history, God was the potter trying to do his best to shape and form the nation of Israel into being a blessing to the world. But it wasn't working. The, the, The clay was stubborn. The clay was broken. And so God tells Jeremiah to say to the people, can I not change what I make you into? Just like this potter changes. Can I not choose to tear down a kingdom upon, and upon their repentance decide to, to change the consequences for their sin? Can I not choose to tear down a kingdom and plant a new kingdom? And if that kingdom does what's wrong and turns away from me, to reconsider also what I do? In other words, am I a master potter? who is able to do with what I want with the clay that's in front of me. One Bible scholar I was reading this week put it like this. It's not that in this passage, it's not that we see that God is changeable. It's that God is constantly responding to our changeability. It's not that God is changeable. It's that God is responding to our changeability. Or, or as another commentator I, I, I read, he called it responsive sovereignty. Right? God is, as, as Reformed Christians, we know God is sovereign. He is in control. He is above all things. He is in all things. But he's responsive to the clay. And so his sovereignty allows him to call an audible at the line of scrimmage. And so God says to his people, the people he has been shaping and forming, the people he has called to be his own and has poured his skill and creative power into, and he says to them, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn Turn away from doing what is right in your own sight. Turn away. Turn towards what is right in my sight. Obey me. Just like the dance of pottery, right? The clay has to trust the potter. But Israel didn't trust. Right? They weren't open and didn't submit to God. And, and Jeremiah is told what the people will say. He says, they will say it is not, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. In other words, we will continue to be marred clay. Now it's easy for us to sit here and watch Sandra doing her thing and think, how could Israel be so stubborn? Couldn't they see? Just obey God. Just turn towards him. 
But actually, their words are not far away from our own personal experiences, are they? Our natural bend is the same as theirs. We don't trust the potter either. Like Israel, we like to be both the potter, the one shaping and forming us into what we think is best, and the clay. Some of you may remember last year when Brian got up here in front of our congregation and began sharing with us about the spiritual nature of giving and tithing. About how God's wor- in God's word, it, it, it talks about um, being a generous giver, about one, one who trusts God with our money. And in, Brian encouraged us to be more intentional about our giving. And I have to confess to you this morning that I, being only at First Hamilton for a few months, sat in that front pew over there and thought to myself, this talk is not for me. I build it into my budget. I follow the word of God. I give generously. This talk is not for me. This talk is for the other people. And God touched me. And he made me realize, Hayden, you have it wrong. You are hiding behind a number. You are hiding behind a rule and thinking that I want your money, but it's not your money that I want, it's your heart. I want to shape and to form you into a new kind of person. And so I want you to be generous, not because I want your money, but because I want you. And so what if I asked for more than the number on the page? What would you do, Hayden? Would you follow me then? God asked me to trust him. And he was trying to shape me, but I was being like Israel. I was being resistant. What about you? Have you felt the touch of the potter recently? As I think about this encounter that that I experienced with God when he touched me and called me to trust him, I can imagine that some other people may have encountered God differently. We, re- we generally respond to God's touch in two different ways. One, we try to protect ourselves by saying, I'm, I'm good, I'm a good person. The other is we say the opposite and we say, you saved me by grace. It's, it's a gift. And, and, and this, this way that you call me to give, this is going to challenge my freedom. I... I I can't see how you can ask me to do this, how you can strap me to a tight budget to make me not able to do the things that I want to do with my life, to go to the places that I want to go, to experience the things that I feel like I need to experience. I can't see how you can be a good God and ask me to do that. This is the same thing. God says to us, it's not your money I want, but your heart. Do you trust me to shape you? Do you trust the hands of the skilled potter to care tenderly for your well-being? To fulfill the deepest 
desires and longings of your heart. Can you trust me? See, both of these reactions that we typically have to the hands of the the divine potter of God shaping and forming us and touching our lives is the reactions that Israel had. That God can't be trusted, that he isn't loving, and that he isn't skilled enough to know what's best for me. So is it no use? Can we turn away from our own way of doing things? Can we turn to the potter? Can our hearts be changed? The answer is yes, they can. And it's because of what happens later on in this in the story that this, that this prophecy comes in. And this is why we need to feel today the touch of God that's the proof of his love. We need to feel the proof of love. There's a sermon illustration that I heard a while back. It was originally from a woman preacher, and, and it went like this. The, the preacher said, if the distance between the earth and the sun is, which is 92 million miles. So if the distance between the earth and the sun, 92 million miles, is reduced to the thickness of one single sheet of paper. The distance between the earth and the sun. Then the distance between the earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. It's like driving to Florida and back. That's how big our galaxy is. And yet the galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust virtually in the whole universe. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ holds the universe together with the word of power in his pinky finger. And so this leads us to the question, is this the kind of God that you ask to be your personal assistant? The Bible doesn't give us that option. Either, either God is a God that we submit to and that we, we bow in reverence and fear before, or he is someone who we say doesn't exist. There's no middle ground. You can't go halfway but that's, that's the power of God, the greatness of God. He's so big, so powerful, so, so in control of things. But this God doesn't just give us proof of his power. He gives us proof of his love. See, in this passage, God said that there would be a, a disaster for Israel, a, a, a plan against them, that he would take them into exile. But God knew that, that, that eventually that the disaster and the plan that he had prophesied, that he had given and, and, and sovereignly ordained over Israel would eventually fall upon his own shoulders. See, Jesus Christ knew his mission would be to go to the cross and take the hit. He paid the price. He took the punishment for sin and brokenness of the world. See, the stubbornness of the crowds was still there as they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. See, in Jesus, the potter becomes the clay. 
and lets himself be destroyed. Yet he never faltered. Jesus never faltered from the will of the Father. He was obedient even until death where he took the blow of judgment. I'm always blown away by, by the Sally Lloyd-Jones children's Bible that, that has that one line and when it's talking about the crucifixion where it says that Christ on the cross shows us his great love for us because it wasn't the nails that held him on the cross. It was his love. The cross is the proof of, of the potter's love for the clay. So congregation, the question for us this morning is do we see ourselves on the pottery wheel? Really, do you see yourself there? And what does that look like? What does it look like to respond to the hand of the divine potter? There's an interesting passage in Acts when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the apostles and Peter gets up and preaches a sermon to the people who have just witnessed something truly amazing and about the sovereignty of God and the proof of his love. And he concludes with this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Savior and Lord. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The scalpel of God's touch came upon them. And they realized that it was because of their stubbornness that Christ had to go to the cross. That because of their stubbornness, Christ had to die. The punishment was either going to come upon them or on him. And it went on him. But, but, they also realized at the same time that it was out of his great love that he willingly died. Christ willingly went to the cross for us. Can we put ourselves in the shoes of the crowd at Pentecost? Does the, does the gospel cut us to the heart when we realize that, that it was our sin, your sin, my sin, that, that Christ had to be nailed to the tree, but that he did that with you in mind? And so Peter replies to the people when they say, what should we do? How do we respond? He says, repent. Repent and believe, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off whom the Lord has called. In this season of Lent, we face these realities. We can encounter God's convicting and powerful touch that cuts us to the heart. Just like the skillful potter's hand cuts the clay and shapes the clay. And we can do that knowing that it isn't going to kill us. That it is going to make us something new. Something beautiful. How do we know that? Because we know that God's touch will never put nails through our hands because Christ has done that already. 
That we will never get a spear in our side because Christ has taken that on for us already. And so we can receive the healing touch of the divine potter shaping us, forming us into what he knows best. This shapes the life of God's kingdom. Repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. As God's hands continually make us new, make us into something beautiful. And so we can have the courage to face our flaws, to face our sin. And to do that, knowing that when we say sorry to Jesus, he is running to us saying, I love you. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who speaks. You are a God who is active in our lives. And your touch is a touch of grace that wakes us up. Father, I thank you that we don't receive the blow that you took upon yourself. Father, that you went to the cross so that we can be remade. As we make this journey through Lent, as we face our sin and our brokenness, Father, as we face the brokenness in our world that we see all around us, give us good courage, Father, to face this, knowing that you are making all things new. And that we, in repentance and belief, participate in your kingdom at work. In Jesus we pray. Amen.